Hey everyone, Michael Unger here with another episode of Let's Innovate, the podcast where we uncover the passion behind great ideas. In this episode, we're going to set up the spring science fair season with a solo episode where I'm going to go through and put out some ideas that we've been working on here at the Science Fair Foundation. The big idea that we want to work on that will really be more of a long-term vision is transforming science fairs into something more accessible, more inclusive. Now, it's the kind of work that's being talked about in the education field at large. It is relatively new for me coming into this, where I've previously been rooted in the arts and the non-formal education field. The question I had for myself was to define what a science fair is so that I could then start to collaborate with our team and our partners, the regional coordinators in the province and the Yukon, teachers, parents, kids, and even on the broader national level. And the work that's being done at U-Science Canada has helped me kind of like think about this on that level, as I'll be a, a delegate this year going to the, uh, the science fair uh, in Ottawa in May. So that's going to be really exciting. And I come at this from a relatively fresh perspective, but I'm sure it's not completely new. And I know that these things have been and are being talked about and that it is not easy work. Making things more accessible and inclusive is what a lot of us want, but it takes work and collaboration to start to move in the right direction. So in this episode, I'm going to go through some broad ideas for those first steps. And if you're listening and want to add to this conversation, I'd love to hear from you. So let's get going. Let's innovate on making science fairs more accessible and inclusive. So I wanted to start off by talking about kind of where I come from when I was a kid. You know, I certainly wasn't a science fair kid. I was not even a science kid in particular. And I came from a time where labels actually really were part of who you were. And I wasn't a jock, even though I really wanted to be <laughs> because I wasn't very good at sports. I probably fit more into the nerd category, but not in the nerd category that equated to, you know, good marks. When I was 10, I delivered the Vancouver sun. And this was a time of my life that everything kind of like started to gel together to become make me the person who I am. Um, and part of that was I would get up really early in the morning and I would be by myself and the stars were out, which would help me connect to that thing that I now do now, which is be a space science educator at my day job at the space center. That was because of star Wars and thinking about space in the universe now seems like that would be a very sciencey thing, but, there is never any connection for me to pursue that. Okay, so we'll, we'll put a pin in that a little bit later. But when I was delivering papers this early in the morning, this was my opportunity to delve into my favorite pastime, something that I actually wrote down on one of those tests where it asked you, you know, what are your skills? You know, where do you see yourself uh, in the future? And even though I really wanted to be a baseball player, I knew I couldn't be a baseball player. So I wrote down the one thing that I thought I was really good at, and that was daydreaming. 
I literally wrote down daydreaming as my skill. Now, when I was delivering papers this early in the morning, that skill did not equate me being a good delivery boy because I would often just sit on steps and just read the paper, not delivering the papers. Sometimes the parents would come out and <laughs> say, what are you doing sitting on the step? Can I have my paper, please? What I would also do sometimes is cut out baseball scores uh, because my favorite team was the New York Mets and Daryl Strawberry was my favorite player. And there was no other way for me to find out what the team was doing, how well Strawberry was doing. They would barely be mentioned on the sports shows that, where I lived in Canada. So this was my only connection to it. And my parents, they figured I was very intelligent around this time. I was reading books above my level, but that did not equate to good marks in school. And here's you know important point about the kids that we want to try to include. I feel like I was probably ripe for the kind of person that would have loved getting into a quote unquote science fair, but there was never an opportunity for me to do that. And at the same time, I probably didn't have the right type of mentors in my life to be able to nudge me in that right direction. However, there was a family friend that was sort of a motherly figure to a lot of uh, the kids in church. And she was very kind to me. And But the best thing that she ever did was just to see me. And what she did was she saw me as this curious kid that just needed a little bit of organization and somewhere to channel whatever it was that was going on in my brain. And what she gave me was a folder that had this little tiny clip at the top of it. On the front of the folder said the words, Michael's scores. And the idea was that I could put all of the baseball clippings that I was taking out of these papers and I could organize them in this folder. Now the possessive in that statement was what really did it for me. These were my scores. This was a world that was for me. And what that meant was that I had this whole new realm that I could create and, and think about in my head with these scores. And it was from there that I would then, you know, start to look at the backs of the baseball cards and, and look at these numbers and figure out how to play with numbers and figure out how to calculate averages and how numbers help you understand the story of what was going on. And baseball was that way for me to think about math in this really exciting way that I had never thought of before. And that equated to, you know, some good marks early on in school. But then, of course, you know, life changes and all of that kind of like went aside and never actually formally did any project or anything. But I certainly would have loved to. Right. And these are the types of people that I'm thinking about that are out there that could potentially be involved in something called a science fair, but they would never consider themselves either a science fair kid or maybe even a science kid themselves. But science fairs can be this place where curiosity and innovation can really start to thrive. You know, all of these things that we think about when we say STEM and STEAM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, but that A, that arts, that often does get left out. And we're going to pull, come back to that in a little bit. 
despite all of that potential, you know, science fairs now struggle with accessibility, leaving students on the periphery of, you know, these really enriching experiences. And it is imperative, you know, for us as educators, as mentors, as parents, to reimagine and reconstruct science fairs to ensure that every student has the opportunity to participate and thrive. You know, and I feel that we need to see kids better and maybe even just like nudge them in little ways towards possibilities that they probably don't even know are possible. Now, I want to start off and recognize some of the barriers before, you know, we even talk about any of the solutions to this that are hinders to science fairs thriving. You know, you've got socioeconomic factors lack of resources, systematic inequalities, all of those can deter students from diverse backgrounds participating in these fairs. And to truly create an inclusive environment, we must address these challenges head on. Women, non-binary, gender non-conforming individuals are all vastly underrepresented in STEM fields. Thus, it's not surprising that these patterns start in schools and at science fairs. And creating a safe place means recognizing that safe means something different for everyone and not always feeling like they belong or are welcome. And labels around being in science or science-oriented preference can harm community sometimes. The sense of belonging, personal identity, which brings us to how we can think about diversity in science fairs. Okay, so one way to make science fairs more accessible is to broaden the perspective, this spectrum of acceptable topics. Now, traditionally, science fairs have been dominated by projects in physics, chemistry, biology. If we can embrace a wider range of subjects, such as social sciences, environmental studies, we can encourage students with diverse interests to participate and maybe even start to think of projects that think of when we think of the science fair, it'll totally start to break it open. Kids will then start to see that those ideas, those things that they are interested in could actually be potential science fair projects. It does then start to get into that notion of what a science fair is. And I know a lot of fairs out there rebrand themselves as STEM fairs, I'd love to start seeing them rebrand as STEAM fairs, but really you could still be called a science fair as long as you just broaden the scope of what that means, what types of topics are acceptable in a science fair. And of course, the one thing that we all want to be more inclusive of is the indigenous ways of knowing, that group of people that have traditionally not been included in any of these conversations, in a science fair, in traditional Western ways of science and school and modern science. But if we can open the door to this diverse group of young minds and engage with STEAM, then, then the whole notion of science fairs opens up. And that arts, you know, in the STEAM acronym brings a whole different perspective on helping us understand complicated topics. Now, you see that when kids are at science fairs and they're talking about their ideas and they're creating their posters, 
The A is very important. How they present those ideas, how artistic, how creative they can get in talking about their ideas. Here at the Science Fair Foundation with the Youth Innovation Showcase, we make video projects a very big important part of that, video pitches, which does take a lot of A in the STEAM to make them truly effective. And maybe you are not a very artistically minded person or you don't think of yourself as a very artistically minded person. I certainly didn't, but that was mostly because I couldn't draw. That's what I thought of when it, when I thought it meant to be artistic, that meant you were really good at drawing. My sister is an artist. She is the A in STEAM, but I would have never thought of myself as either of those. But why can't you then ask for help and collaborate? Then you may start to get some really strong projects where you have someone who may be really good at collecting data, analyzing data with someone that maybe is more idea oriented and perhaps more artistically minded. Which then brings us into another program that we're working here at the Science Fair Foundation, which is the mentorship program. Because a lot of this that we're talking about sometimes just needs those nudges, just needs a little bit of a forming of ideas and just working through some of those ideas. Someone to talk to about these ideas and how to organize them um, and nudge them towards what the end goal may be. And a lot of times kids don't know what that end goal is unless they talk to someone who's maybe been through that process before. And I was lucky, you know, I had someone that saw me early on. It didn't equate into science fairs, but that made me feel seen. And I think that's very important when it comes to mentorship is that we hear what these kids are saying, what they're, what they're asking for. So here at the foundation, when kids do come to us and they say, hey, I need some help, that is something that, I, that I'm very, very proud to take on. Sometimes all it takes is for an established program to have infrastructure in place to make these connections happen. And establishing mentorship programs, you know, can be a total game changer in making science fairs accessible, pairing experienced scientists, engineers, educators with students from underprivileged backgrounds can provide invaluable guidance and support. And these mentorship relationships extend far beyond the fair itself. Fostering long-term connections and creating a sense of belonging for students who might otherwise feel isolated. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to find out what our own narrative is. It certainly did for me. It took me many years to find out, figure out who I was as a person. And that narrative is very important. And that's where a mentorship can come in and take those observations and listening approach to help each individual grow to their own potential based on where they want to go by helping them see the narrative that may be hidden to them. You know, that's the, the wildest thing is that the narrative may be right there in plain sight, but you can't see it. I certainly couldn't see it. I wrote down daydreaming, <laughs> but it was all right there. The math, the thinking about the universe, it was, it was all there. So at the Science Fair Foundation, we have found that collaborating with alumni for a, a train-the-trainer model has been something that we've just started doing and we're going to continue to do. And if you're out there and you have been in a science fair before, you've gone through this process, if this type of work seems appealing to you, 
to help be one of those nudgers, you know, help, please contact us. Now, let's start talking about technology. Because when I started working with the Science Fair Foundation in 2020, that was because all of the fairs needed to go online. And one of the things that I was doing at the Space Center in my job was also going online. We went onto YouTube right away. So everything went online. Remember that period of 2020. So right now, in this era of technological advancements, we can, we can harness this power of digital platforms to really level the playing field. That's what we needed to do then. And virtual science fairs, 2020, 2021, 2022, can eliminate geographical barriers and provide a platform for students who may not have the means to travel to traditional events. Now, I know that now, 2023, and even going into 2024, some of those virtual fairs have dropped off. But what we did learn is that they did help some of those students that can sometimes find it hard to physically get to the fair. That can certainly be a big barrier that we want to give some attention to. Now, I totally understand, you know, virtual and in-person, the hybrid approach. I know how hard that is to do both at once. And that's kind of the problem. That is the main problem right now is that those resources, those, the volunteer aspect of managing a virtual fair and an in-person fair can be hard. However, online submissions... Video presentations, interactive discussions allow for a more flexible and inclusive approach that we're talking about, ensuring that every student has the opportunity to showcase their work, be seen in this very large province of British Columbia. We have so many small communities that don't have access to those resources. And I live in a big city, and I know and I'm listening, and I want to connect with people, and it's a lot easier to do that if we keep up this virtual model. So we need the support, right? We need the, not only the technological support, but we need those volunteers that are willing to step in and volunteer their time, which I know time is very valuable. And we need to not only find ways to best use the technology by helping to share resources and collaborate with companies that have been working in this field. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of companies out there that are seeing this and they know that they could help in some way with maybe that, that volunteer time or at least some sort of like resource that we can't think about right now. Because ultimately we want to grow talent in these smaller communities that are going to be in the workforce in this province for years to come. And how best to do that means that we probably need to go into these communities, which is what we're doing this spring, getting out to the science fairs so we can better understand what some of these smaller communities need because not every community has the same issues. Volunteers are no or a big one, but leveraging this technology with that plays a big part in that conversation. So to break down the socioeconomic barriers, we do need to engage with these local communities. Establishing partnerships with schools, community centers, educational organizations can create this support network that nurtures aspiring young scientists. And by bringing science fairs directly to the communities, we can overcome transportation and financial obstacles, enabling students from all backgrounds to participate. And this is where we'll truly get that broader perspective when it comes to solving problems. And this will further that connection and sense of belonging 
that I talked about earlier. And it will also start to build that capacity for the fares for long-term stability. This is what we're doing where we're going into, into West Kootenai. This is something we're building that fare back up, especially if you're out there and you're listening and you live in that community, Nelson, Castlegar, and you want to come and help out that fare, we're building it up. I'm going to be there. So let's talk about finances and resources just for a second, because we know that they should never be a hindrance to a student's scientific aspirations, but they are. So providing financial support for materials, equipment, and travel expenses, it can make a huge impact. Sourcing sponsorships from businesses, community organizations, government agencies can create a pool of resources that ensures every student has access to the tools they need to bring their projects to life. Let's talk about judging now, because this is something that I started to see when I went to the Canada-wide Science Fair, and now in my official role here working with the Science Fair, not just as a host, I'm seeing things from the judging perspective. So if we truly want to embrace this inclusivity model, this accessibility of changing what we think of traditionally as science fairs, of course, judging is going to play a big part in that. And that I first heard this could be brought up in the model of changing how we design posters in that a poster traditionally is your whole paper being put up there so that somebody can come up to you and you can basically tell them about your paper, about your science fair project. It's certainly not been the most aesthetically pleasing. And I certainly know this going to conferences and, you know, having my brain and eyes melt when I look at a scientific poster and I want to talk to people, but it, there's certainly a barrier there for my engagement. And the better poster model that was employed at the Canada-wide Science Fair in 2023 was a great way to start to help kids think about how to showcase and communicate their ideas. Let's talk about judging criteria. Because as we're talking about making science fairs more inclusive, more accessible, we also need to start thinking about how they're going to be judged in the science fair so that they don't get punished because the science fair is essentially still a competition in some ways, in a lot of ways, but the judging needs to also become more inclusive. So while scientific rigor remains a cornerstone, you know, acknowledging diverse methodologies and recognizing the value of projects that address societal challenges promotes a more inclusive atmosphere. Judges should be trained to appreciate the uniqueness of each project and consider the diverse perspectives the students are bringing to the table. You know, that's something that at the Science Fair Foundation, we run the Youth Innovation Showcase. That's something that we can kind of like have some control over and we're certainly going to be leaning more into that. The better science, the better poster model that was employed at the Canada-wide Science Fair in 2023 was visually amazing. Not every kid bought into it, but it started to allow the students to communicate their projects through the poster model in a much more accessible way, taking the approach of how to lay out the poster and how to communicate your idea and how to grab people's attention. And you saw that really work well on the days when it was open to the public and you had, you know, parents and you had kids engaging with these projects. And if kids are coming and asking questions about these science fair projects, 
and they're able to understand these projects better, ultimately they're going to start to see themselves and they're starting to get excited about these projects. So careful consideration should be taken in the language used and the levels and criteria for rubrics. There should be transparency in judging with shared rubrics for youth and judges, as well as judge and structural material to support alignment with the ethos of the Science Fair Foundation. So just as we look for diversity in our participants, we need to meet them with diversity in our judges so that students can continue to see themselves when they are being judged. As we wrap up this episode, as we aspire to create more inclusive and accessible future for science fairs, it is imperative that we actively work to dismantle barriers that hinder certain groups of students by embracing diversity, fostering mentorship, leveraging technology, collaborating with communities, providing financial support, we can transform science fairs into platforms where every young mind, regardless of background or circumstance, can flourish. And through these collaborative efforts, we can inspire the next generation of scientists, engineers, innovators, ensuring that the beauty of scientific discovery is acceptable to all. And if you're listening to this episode and any of these ideas that I've thrown out there, I would love to hear from you. Please contact me, munger at sciencefairs.ca. We're going to be talking about this more on future Let's Innovate episodes. You're going to hear more Science Fair-oriented episodes uh, this coming year. I am super excited to get out there. So thank you so much for listening to me, listening to my perspective. I want to hear more from your perspective, uh, like I said. and please. Rate, review this episode, share with people you think that uh, want to be also involved in this conversation. And we're going to come back with some more episodes. Can't wait to share with you. I want to talk to more people on the subject of making science fairs more inclusive. So until next time, let's innovate. <laughs>